Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Grace is greater. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, grace is greater. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships. Grace is strong enough to hold you up when you're weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointment. Grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. Grace is always greater, no matter what. Well, good morning. I've got great news for you. God's grace is greater. And no matter what you're going through, I'm telling you, God's grace is greater. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Wallace, or one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I get the privilege of teaching you God's Word. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles, turn to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians, or you can take out your smartphone and open that app to Galatians chapter 3. encourage you to do this as well. Take out your Bible study outlines. That way you can follow along and take notes as God speaks to you. You can write down those things that he's speaking to you about. Um, as See, we're beginning a brand new series called Grace is Greater. Over the next five weeks, all of our small groups and all of our weekend services, we are teaching on God's grace and how it is greater. Now, today's message is going to be sort of an overview It's going to sort of give you a basic parameters of grace. And then what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to take God's grace and we're going to apply it to different areas of your life. And at the end of this time together, you're going to go, I had no idea. God's grace is amazing. And it is. And whenever you discover how amazing God's grace is, that's when your Christian life really begins to blossom and really begins to take off. But what often happens is that a lot of Christians sort of fall away from grace. That grace is no longer amazing to them. And they fall into a trap. You know, that happened to me at one point of my Christian life. Let me see if I can explain it to you how it took place. When I was almost 20 years old, I wasn't yet a follower of Christ. And I had a lot of addictions. I was an alcoholic. I had no purpose and meaning in my life, so I was constantly drifting, drifting, getting a lot of trouble. Um, I flunked out of college because of my addictions. And then my sister invited me to church. And so I came to church again, and I heard the gospel like it was for the first time. And I realized that Jesus Christ loved me. He loved me so much, he died on the cross for my sins And it was compelling to me. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And when I called on Christ to be my Lord, transformation immediately happened. I was born again. All the addictions in my life began to fall away. I had joy. I had life. I had purpose and meaning that I'd never had before. And it was all because of my relationship with Christ. I even felt called into the ministry. So I left Florida where I was living and moved to Texas to go to Bible college. Now, while I was there, I attended a church. And the church wasn't a bad church. It was a Baptist church. But it had a subtle little teaching. And that what it really emphasized was the rules. 
And in essence, it said, if you're going to really mature and go on and, and really be blessed and used of God, you need to follow these rules. And something very subtle in my mind, a lie I believed, and it was this. Okay, I'm saved and forgiven by grace. But if I really want to mature, then I've got to do that on my own. I mean, grace is sort of the the beginning door into the Christian life. But if I really want to move forward with God, I've got to really gut it out. I've got to work hard and I've got to really seek him. And oh my goodness, I've got to make this happen. And what happened is that when I started operating that way, it's like the joy began to leach out of me. And and, and suddenly these sins that I'd long since abandoned began to start coming back into my life. And the, the Christian life became hard and drudgery. Why? Because I had fallen away from grace. Now, my experience apparently is very common. And you know why? Because there's an entire book of the Bible that addresses this. It's found, it's the book of Galatians. In fact, let me set this up for you. You had this church in Galatia that they had become followers of Jesus Christ. They had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But then you had these false teachers come in. They were called Judaizers. And they basically said, we're so excited that you've accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But that's just the start. If you really want to mature, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to go on with God, here are 600 laws of the Old Testament you need to obey. And then suddenly, all the joy and life of Christ begin to drain out of them. And Paul writes the entire book of Galatians to confront that subtle lie. And this is what Paul says. In fact, look at it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Paul says this. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, look at it. You have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to be cut off from Christ. I need the life of Christ. I need the power of Christ. I need Jesus working in and through my life. But when I move away from grace, I miss out. And you know, all I've got left is me and my strength and what I can gut up and what I can accomplish. And you fall into this performance trap. And it's nothing more than Christian religion. And it's dead. Some of you are there. And you know what you got to do? You got to rediscover grace. And whenever you rediscover grace, it changes everything. So let's look at this passage here today in Galatians chapter 3. And let's look at the two different ways that people will view their relationship with God. First is the right way in grace. Look at it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. The apostle Paul says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek or slave or free or male or female, for you're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, that's all good news. That's grace. But you know what? When you go back to a works mentality, Paul says it's like you're going back to childhood again under the law. Check it out. Look at it, Galatians 4.1, the next verse. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
He is subject to the guardians and the trustees and to the time set by the Father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. That's not how God wants us to walk. So what does he do? Here's the solution, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart. And the spirit cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's intimate relationship. Verse 7, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Now, that's a beautiful passage, and it's it's power-packed. So let's unpack it today. Let's discover how grace changes everything in your life. And so I want you to jot this down. How does grace change everything? First of all is this. Grace changes the way you relate to God. Grace changes the way that you relate to God. I mean, how do you view God? How do you look at God? Based on how you view God will then determine how you relate to him and how you respond to him. Now, most of you have probably seen this before. Do you know the difference between how dogs and cats think? Right? Have you seen this before? Dogs will think this way. They'll say, you love me. You pet me. You feed me. You must be God. Okay? Now, cats, on the other hand, they sort of think this way. You love me. You feed me. You pet me. I am God. Now, I don't know if cats actually think that way or not, but based on how you view life, that's how you're going to respond to God. So how do you respond with God whenever you're not walking in grace? Well, here it is. Jot this down. You see God as the boss, and you're in a slave relationship. It's just a boss-slave relationship. It's sort of like you're, you're God's employee. You're, he's the boss. Now, is it true that God is the boss of you? Without a doubt. Is it true that, you know, we are called in different places in the scriptures that we are slaves of Jesus Christ without a doubt? But if that's the full extent of your relationship with God, you're missing out on the main thing. Paul's saying that that's only the initial understanding of your relationship with God. You've got to move beyond that to understand it's a father-child relationship. Look what Paul says. When you go back to this childhood kind of thinking, what have you done? Look at it, verse 3. He says, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. Circle the word slavery there. See, some of you, that's through your image of God. God is just this slave driver. Or you know what? God is this big CEO of God Incorporated. And I'm just this little peon employee. And and God's distant. And and you know what? All God cares about is my job performance. And he puts all the tons of expectations in my to-do box. and, And God's just drumming his fingers going, why aren't you pulling the company line, right? If that's your image of God, you you got the wrong concept of God. So what is the proper concept of God according to grace? Well, Paul tells us it is, jot this down, a father-child relationship. It's a father-child relationship. That's the primary relationship you have with God. That's what's described about you over and over again in the scriptures. Five different times in this passage alone, you're called a child of God. The whole passage starts out that way. Look at it. Galatians 3, 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Circle the word sons of God. And then Paul ends this passage saying a very similar thing. Galatians 4, 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. 
And so this church in Galatia, they had the wrong concept of God. And they think, okay, you know, if I'm going to be pleasing to God, if God's going to really like me, then what I've got to do is I've got to do all these laws. And, you know, he's sort of the boss and I'm the slave. And that's the wrong concept. Listen to me. God is not looking for your performance. He's not. God's looking for an intimate relationship with him. That's what God wants. And that's what we all want as well. I mean, think about it. We all want an intimate relationship with God as a father. I've had men that I've talked with that literally just break down in tears, crying, and they'll say, my, na- my dad never once told me he's proud of me. I once had a young lady that I was counseling, and she was just overwhelmed, and she said, I just can't believe it. My dad left me and my mom for this other woman. And she says, how can he love this other woman above his very own daughter. You know what she's saying? She's saying, I want a relationship with my dad. But it's not just an earthly relationship with an earthly dad. In our heart of hearts, we're all longing for a heavenly relationship with our heavenly father. That's what we're all looking for. I've got to admit to you that um, my relationship with my dad has really always been great. My dad's not perfect, but for me, he was the perfect dad that I needed. And every morning, Dad would fix us breakfast, and he'd sort of, you know, wake us up. And I, we'd tumble out of bed, and we'd walk down the hall to the dining room, and my dad would always be at the end of the hall. And every day, he'd say, how'd you sleep? He'd give me a hug, and then he'd say, I love you. Now, I got that every day growing up. That's, that's, that's pretty good, you know? It is. Um, I remember one day, I, I rolled out of bed, and I realized something. I had peed in the bed. Now, obviously, I was very young. This wasn't like as a teenager or anything like that. I was very young. But um, so I got pee all over me. And so I, I come out of my bedroom, and there's my dad at the end of the hall, and I'm faced with a dilemma. What am I going to do? Am I going to do, am I going to say, hey, dad, uh, don't give me a hug today because I got pee all over me? Or do I just let dad figure it out on his own? Well, I opted for letting dad figure it out on his own. (laughs) Why? Because I wanted my daily hug. Can I tell you that's grace? We're all a mess here, every one of us. We're all covered with our own pee. And the grace of God embraces us with our mess. That's grace, folks. Grace changes the relationship you have with Almighty God. It's a relationship that's what God wants, Father, Son. But there's a second thing that grace does. Jot this on your outline. Now, this is going to change how you view God. Secondly, grace changes the reason why you obey. What, what is it that motivates you? What is the real reason why you obey? I mean, why do you come to church? Why are you here today? Is it guilt? Is it, you know, shame? Is it fear? Is it love? What is it that's motivated you to serve God, follow God, obey God? What exactly is it? Well, whenever you don't have grace, I'll tell you what it is. Look at this on your outline. Obedience is just keeping the rules. You know what? Okay, I, it's the rules. Okay, I got to obey the rules. I, I got to do this. Okay, sort of like, you know, the employee mindset. Okay, okay, where, where's the employee handbook? Okay, it's the Bible. And, and what's the job description? Okay, that's what this looks like. Okay, I've got to obey the rules. And Paul says, whenever you go back to a childhood thinking of relationship with God, you've gone back to the Old Testament laws and legalism. Guess what? You're now under the guardians of that. 
Look at it, verse 2. He says, you are subject to the guardians and trustees. And you outline, circle the word guardians there. Let me sort of describe what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In that day in Roman culture, if you had a nobleman that would have a son, what he would do is he would assign that son to tutors, to guardians, to trustees. It would be like you know, sending your kid to military camp or, or you know, to a boarding school. You know, rich people in the day used to have nannies and governesses that, that would raise their children. Well, that's what we, they would do in Roman culture as well, if you're a nobleman. But then there was no relationship with a father at all. But at a certain point, the child would come to a certain age, and then the dad would say, you're no longer under that. You're with me. We're going to walk together in relationship, father-son relationship, and we're going to move together. We're going to work together. We're going to know each other in this father-child relationship. No more nannies for you. Well, that's what happened when you became a follower of Jesus Christ. God says, no more nannies for you, right? But what happened is the church of Galatia, you had these legalists that came in and they go, hey, hey, look, we're so glad you're following Jesus. You need to. But if you really want to know God and go to the next level of spiritual life with God, then you got to start keeping these rules, okay? Now, can I tell you something? Every church has a set of rules. We, we do. And so as a young Christian, I joined this church, and I was basically handed a set of rules. Here's the do's, and here's the don'ts. Now, it wasn't explicit, it wasn't like, okay, you know what? If you don't do this, we're not going to love you. But it was very subtle that, you know, if you really are following Jesus, if you're passionate for him, if you're really all in as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will do these things and you'll don't do these things. And I became a full-blooded legalist. Let me just tell you just some of the rules that we had in that church. I mean, there were certain type of music that, you know what, you just didn't listen to certain music or you only listened to that kind of music. There's certain way that you dressed. It was um, certain foods that you avoided and certain foods that you, you were allowed to eat. And you know what, your devotional life, okay, you need to make sure you have a daily devotion. If you miss a devotion, well, you know what, God's not going to love you that day. And your devotion time needs to be at least an hour a day. And then, you know what, if God gives you a wife and you're married, no birth control. And if you do have children, then, you know, the best way is a home birth. Susan and I, we attended a home birth as prayer partners. Afterwards, I left and go, we ain't having no kids. We ain't having no kids. That was, that was terrifying. <laughs> if you have kids, you do not send your kids to public pagan school. You got to homeschool them. Now, look, is there anything with those ethics, anything wrong with those things? Not necessarily, okay? But you know what happens is, is that whenever you begin to measure your Christian life based on those kind of performances, you're living for others, not living for God, folks. See, see somehow in our mind, we have this scale up in heaven that God's got this scale, and you, you got all these do's and, and don'ts, and if you do really good, that outmeasures out this, and if you do bad things, and that outmeasures that way. And if, you, you know, if you're living according to the list, then what you think is you think that God looks at you and goes, oh, I love you. Now you're pleasing to me. But you know what? If the bad outweighs the good, then you go, you're thinking that God's looking at you in heaven going, okay, I've already forgiven you. You're going to heaven. But golly, I don't like you right now. 
And in fact, don't even pray because I'm not even sure if I want to talk with you right now. Just get out of my face. That's sort of the impression that we have with God. Why? Because we live this life in do's and don'ts. You've heard me say this before. There is nothing you could do that can make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you go, how can that be true? Because folks were saved by grace. The Bible says that every bit of our righteousness is filthy rags. Me on my best day is never enough before a holy God. And neither is you. We are justified by grace through Jesus Christ. That is the only reason we're ever acceptable to God. That's it. It is all grace. It always is. That's why we are made right with God. And so you go, okay, then why should we ever obey if we're completely forgiven and it's all of grace? Well, here it is. Jot this down. Obedience is maintaining a relationship. Obedience is maintaining a relationship. You see, this is where grace gets criticized. People will say, well, you know, Pastor Tony, if you take away the rules, oh my goodness, people are going to live any old way they want to. They're going to sin all they want to. And I go, you're right. Guess what? I sin all I want to. But you know what? I don't want to. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with God. And why would I want to, you know, hurt that? I mean, think about it. I mean, you don't have to give me some law that tells me not to commit adultery against my wife. I'm head over heels crazy in love with her. I would never do that to her. Why? Because I love her. Obedience is built out of love. That's what Jesus said. Check it out. Look at what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience comes out of love. Listen, love never comes out of obedience. You don't obey, 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 and one day you go, oh, I love God. No, that doesn't work that way. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. Let's just say that my dad calls me up and says, um, hey, Tony, I had to go to the doctor, real sick, and, you know, just got the bill. It's $500, and I can't pay it. You know what I'd immediately say? I'd say, hey, Dad, you know what? No worries. I've got it covered. I'll take care of that $500. No worries, right? But then at that same day, somebody, a tax collector, assessor, comes to my house. And they said, hey, we've been reappraising your house, and uh, you're going to have to pay $500 more in taxes every year. And I go, oh, I ain't no way. What do you do? I got to call the county commissioner, and I'm going to call talk radio. I ain't paying no $500 more, right? Now, what's the difference? It's $500 either way. I'll tell you, the reason why I pay my taxes is because I have to. I don't love the IRS. See, some of you, your relationship with God is purely duty. Okay, he's the IRS, I gotta pay. No, that's the wrong motivation. If you realize you have a relationship with Almighty God that is intimate and real, you'll obey him. In fact, check it out. This is what our relationship should look like. It's found in verse six. Paul says, because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son, that's Jesus' spirit, into our hearts. And the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, that word Abba means daddy. That's how close, intimate your relationship with God is. He's your daddy. Verse 7, you're no longer a slave but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Folks, that's the new motivation that we have. It's, it's out of a relationship. I obey and serve God because I have a relationship with him. 
Most of you know that I grew up on a family farm in Florida. And the primary animals that we had on this farm were hogs. We were the largest hog farm in all the state of Florida. Now, at first, when we were a smaller farm, it was just, you know, our family that was working on the farm. But as we began to grow, we had to start hiring other people to work on the farm. Nobody wants to work on a hog farm, okay? The fact is, is if you hire somebody to work on the hog farm, you have scraped the bottom of the barrel. And so the very first person that we hired on our farm was the bottom of the barrel. His name was Leon, okay? And Leon didn't have much of a work ethic. He showed up only whenever he had to. He just went through the motions. He was always dragging around, never in any, you know, it was just slow motion speed the entire time. He left right whenever it was time to leave. He would not give anything extra. That was Leon. Why? Because he worked just as an employee. But myself and my brothers, it's the family farm, We worked extra hours and extra time. We'd go above and beyond. We're always hustling. Why? Because it's our lifeblood. It's the family farm. You see the difference? See, some of you, you come to church and you go, okay, uh, what's the minimum requirement here? Well, what's the least I got to do to be a good Christian? Or you come on Sunday and sort of check off, okay, did my duty for God this week and I'm going to live any way I want to the rest of the week. Okay, that's sort of the way it is. If that's your mindset, you're thinking like an employee. You're not part of the family business. You see, see, something happens in a relationship. It changes the whole motivation for why we do what we do around here. Years ago, I read a story of this lady who was married to this, her husband was just an ogre of a man. I mean, he was nitpicking, he was a perfectionist, always critical, demanding, demeaning. And one day, he comes to her with this list, and he goes, these are my expectations for you as my wife, and hands her the list. And she looks at the list, and she goes, I despised that list and everything that was written on it. And I tried, had a duty to try to do some of that. She goes, um, a few years later, he died in a tragic accident. It was a few years after that, she met another man. They fell in love. They were married. And this was a totally different husband. This guy loved her and cared for her and was sympathetic of her. And they just had an amazing, intimate relationship. And she said one day she was cleaning out her closet and she found the old list that her old husband had given to her. And she pulls it out and she despised even looking at it. But she starts reading the list and she goes, oh my goodness, everything on the list I'm doing with my new husband. But I'm doing it not out of obligation. I'm doing it because I'm crazy in love with him. That's the way it is with God. Whenever you get grace and you fall in love with him, you will serve him and follow him and obey him. It just naturally comes. That's what grace does. Grace changes everything. It changes your relationship. It changes the reason why you obey. But grace does a third thing. Jot this on your outline. Grace changes the way you view others. See, grace changes the way you view others. If you have experienced God's grace you're going to be more gracious. If you've experienced God's forgiveness, you're going to be more forgiving. If you've experienced God's mercy, you're going to be more merciful, right? But if you see God as a taskmaster, a hard-nosed perfectionist that's distant and demanding and judgmental, that's the way you're going to treat other people as well, okay? 
And so what are the two ways that we typically treat people? Well, here they are. Number one is this. Most people will just see people in classes. They, they see people in classes or groupings, sort of like the Hindu society used to do, where they had a caste system, where, where you had the, the Brahmin priest level, the highest spiritual level, or you got the untouchables. Did you know that Christians have a caste system too? We do. So we judge one another based on our list of do's and don'ts. And we look at each other and we see some people and go, ooh, they do all the do's and don't do any of the don'ts. I think I want to be a part of their group there. We sort of put them on a special pedestal, right? And then you look at other people and you know what? They're not doing very good according to the list. And you go, oh, Oh, no, carnal, carnal, carnal. Don't want to hang out with those guys at all, right? Right? And so we just judge each other based on our list. These are people to avoid. But you know what's amazing is Christ didn't operate that way, did he? You remember at the beginning of the year, we're doing this meals with Jesus, and what did Jesus do? It drove the Pharisees crazy because what is Jesus doing? He's hanging out. He's having meals with all these tax collectors and sinners. And they're like, Jesus, don't you get it? If you want to be holy and holy like God, then what you need to do is avoid these people and hang out with religious people like us. And Jesus did just the opposite. Why? Because he viewed people the right way. He didn't see people in classes. And so how should we see one another in this church? Jot this on your outline. You see people as family. That's the way it's supposed to be. We suddenly, because we have a relationship with God, we start seeing each other as family. Look, look at how Paul describes this. This is an amazing verse in Galatians 3.28. When we get this right, look what happens. There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Circle that, all one in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, God has no stepchildren. We're all equal. At the foot of the cross, ain't nobody better than anybody else here. We're all at the foot of the cross. You can take the greatest saint in Christian history, and you are just as much an heir with Jesus Christ as they are. Why? Because it's all of grace. Now, we got a society that's constantly building walls. And we're, we're supposed to be hating on everybody for some reason, right? And you know what? The Bible says that God breaks down all those distinctions, all those things where we puff ourselves up with. You know what? Okay, I'm better than you because I have this education or I'm from this race or I'm of this gender or you know what? I've come from this economic background. Whatever it may be, Paul says it all breaks down at the foot of the cross. We're all equal. We're family. That's what the gospel does. It makes us all family and we treat each other that way. Several years back, I read a true story about soldier Buckner Fanning. He was a Marine in World War II, and he was stationed in Nagasaki, Japan, one month after the atomic bomb had gone off there. He said the place was in ruins. You, you see people that are just burned and walking aimlessly through the streets, looking for food, looking for family, looking for hope. He says one day while he was on a um, patrol, he saw a, a, a sign at this half-blown-out building that said Methodist Church. And so that next Sunday, he, um, he goes there. And as he's walking through the door, there were you know, 15 Japanese people that were setting up chairs. And they immediately all turned around to look at him. He didn't know what they would say. And they said the only English word they knew. Brother... 
nods his head and says, I'm your brother. And he said, that day, you had countries that were enemies, people that were hurt by a horrific bomb, and yet in that moment, we were family, we loved each other, they served me the bread and juice of Jesus Christ, and we had communion together because suddenly we were family in that moment. That is the power of the gospel. Grace unifies us. Grace changes us. You see, whenever we all have the same Father, we can be unified. When we all have the same Lord Jesus, we can be unified. Unity enables the long hairs and the short hairs and the no hairs all work together, right? That's what God can do. God can take people that are, you know, have PhDs and they work right alongside high school dropouts and they both respect each other. That's what the power of the gospel can do. And it's all grace. Listen, grace is the key to the Christian life. Don't miss it. You are saved by grace. I know you get that. Listen, you are matured by grace. You are perfected by grace. It is God's grace that enables you to endure and persevere. Everything you're looking for in life is all by grace. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take the grace of God and we're going to apply it to four areas of your life. And when we do, you're going to go, Oh my goodness, grace is amazing and grace changes everything. Now for some of you, you hear grace and you go, this is just sort of nebulous. What does that mean? How can I experience this grace? Well, here's the key. Jot this on your outline. Here's the key. Grace is experienced by faith. Grace is experienced by faith. Grace is applied to your life by faith. Grace suddenly enters into your story. How? By faith. Look at how this passage starts. Galatians 3.26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Circle the word faith there. You go, well, faith is hard to understand too. What does that mean? Well, faith has an intellectual component. That means you got to believe it. Faith has an emotional component That means you have to trust it. Faith has a volitional component. That means you need to choose to surrender to it. Let me explain it like this. I have two chairs here. This chair here represents your life and all that you go through and all you endure in life and all your hang-ups and habits, everything, and hurts. It's all right here in this life, right here. And this chair right here represents Jesus Christ and all of his grace that's available to you. And as we go through the next four weeks, you're going to hear that, you know what? God's grace can heal your hurts. God's grace can forgive sins. God's grace can get me past my past. God's grace can enable me and empower me to get past my weaknesses. God's grace is available. But it's never enough to just intellectually go, okay, I believe God's grace will do that. No, you've got to choose to respond by faith. Intellectually, you got to believe it. Emotionally, you got to trust it. Volitionally, you got to surrender. And so, whatever area is needing the grace of God, you need to say, Okay, God, I'm going to give you faith. I am trusting you. Here I am. And something happens in that moment of faith the grace of God in Jesus Christ overwhelms you. 
I can't explain it, but supernaturally in that moment of surrender and faith, you then experience the grace of God for whatever you need in your life. Folks, God's grace is greater. I don't know what you've walked through, what you're going through, what you're enduring, what your hangups are, but I'm telling you, God's grace is greater. And when you experience it, it changes everything. Don't miss out on the grace of God. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.